Thanks for choosing to listen to Coffee with Katie and Kick-Ass Women. I'm your host, Katie Myers, and I'm broadcasting to you live from Houston, Texas. For those who are new here, I recently made a big life change and moved from San Antonio to Houston. I got a job here in television, and it's been about three weeks now. It's been a really, really smooth transition. Great people here just settling into my apartment, so... Things are going really, really well. That's also the reason why it's been a little bit silent over the airwaves, but we are getting back into the swing of things, and I'm trying to make this podcast, figure out a way to make it a part of my routine here. So bear with me as I figure that out. But enough about me, because we have a phenomenal story to get to today. Today's guest is Kathy Hamilton. She is the CEO of a nonprofit called San Antonio Threads. It provides a shopping experience to teens that are going through foster care in San Antonio. She provides them with brand new clothing, everything from head to toe, shoes, toiletries, undergarments, uh, pants, dresses, Um, She provides them with a brand new shopping experience. So instead of digging through bins or getting hand-me-downs, these kids are coming in and they're able to try on their clothes and feel really good about themselves. And she provides them with that experience completely for free. So obviously I knew that Kathy would be a great person to have on the podcast just with her experience in starting a nonprofit and being the caring and kind person that she is. But once I sat down with her and found out a little more about her why, I really learned what an incredible person she is. You see, Kathy is a survivor. She was a part of a an abusive household growing up at the hands of her stepfather. And she really opens up to us here in this podcast. I'm so thankful that she is brave enough to tell her story. She has obviously come a long way. She's been through quite a bit of healing in order to be able to share it with us, but I'd really like to get right to it. Let her do the talking. We met uh, about a month ago now, maybe even more. Yeah, probably about two months ago at Philosophy Coffee in San Antonio. It's right off San Pedro by SAC. If you haven't tried it out, they have a great iced mocha. But that's besides the point because we have an amazing story to get to. So without further ado, grab a cup of coffee and join me for Coffee with Katie and Kathy Hamilton. Hi, Kathy. Hey, Katie. How are you? Doing great. So you are, what is your official title? I am the CEO and founder of San Antonio Threads. And what is San Antonio Threads? So San Antonio Threads is a new nonprofit. Actually, we're two years old this week. This week. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, San Antonio Threads. We made it two years. So uh, we are a nonprofit that uh, provides a clothing shop for our teens uh, in San Antonio, our teens in foster care aged out of care, homeless, or otherwise referred teens where they come shop for brand new outfits, shoes, toiletries, backpacks, etc. for free. Free of charge. Free of charge. So whereas a lot of teens in their situation are used to having to go to 
uh, certain places where they have to dig through bins or get things secondhand or hand-me-downs. You're providing them with brand new. Correct. We're, we're set up just like a clothing store. Mm-hmm. So we made sure to set up our shop. We've got fitting rooms, full-length mirrors, mannequins, um, stylists that'll help them. Everything will be brand new with the ticket on it. Wow. So what made you want to start this? Well, a few things. Um, I served as a CASA here in San Antonio for five years, so from 2010 to 2015. Um, Saw a lot of teens, visited a lot of group homes, um, had a teenager on one of my CASA cases, and when I saw that she never got, uh, had a jacket or never had new clothes for the back-to-school season, um, always had some really pretty tattered, worn-out shoes, and I would see her go from place to place, and they would have what they would call clothing closets. But her choices were always very limited, and usually it was very um, less-than-thrift-store-like clothing. Mm-hmm. And it really just used to weigh on my mind that that's all the options that there were, being a teenager and not being able to have something where you could go to another high school and be able to fit in and feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. So started doing a lot of research and um, called a few places. There's a place in Colorado called The Hangar. We had a lot of conversations and emails over the phone, followed a lot of people on Facebook, social media, and then just decided, well, whether I help 20 people (laughs) or 200, it's time to get started. And uh, got started, and now here we are, two years old. Yeah, and I remember you saying to, in the foster care program, a lot of times, you know, it's the real young kids that have the most resources and you saw a need specifically for teens. Yeah, specifically for teens, it seems like, um, and even though we have a lot of children in foster care, you know, teens included, it's, I think sometimes it's easier to help the younger children and people kind of forget about teens and they kind of have a stigma that somehow they're unruly or it's their fault if you're a teen, if you're in foster care, which is far from it. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of seem to get forgotten about. Mm-hmm. So that is another big reason why we uh, why we decided to do this. Yeah. I feel like once you hit teendom, that's when life starts getting pretty complicated. Yeah, really complicated. And if they're a teenager and they're still in foster care, they may not be able to go home. Mm-hmm. They may be just looking out at aging out or going to another placement. Um, so I thought it was pretty critical, too, to get to those teens. Yeah. So you have a lot of retail experience, and you also mentioned accounting. Right. But have you ever started? You had not started a nonprofit previously. I had to not this. ever started a nonprofit. It yeah. just kind of ended up being this was the thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> In order to make this fly. Uh, it's just that the need was so great. I just thought we have to do something. And I had just a few people with me. Um, and growing, uh, when I was raising my own children, I was always a store manager of The Gap or The Avenue. I always did retail. And then um, later on, I worked with my husband and did 15 years of accounting. Mm-hmm. So I've always been around businesses. And then five years as a CASA, just around a nonprofit, kind of seeing how they operate. And then I thought, well, I might as well try it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were some of the resources that you found in town for starting a nonprofit? Um, the first one was when I, after I talked to some of our city officials was talking to the United Way, mm-hmm. and I joined a group called the Bear Necessities Networking Group, and that really uh, let me uh, talk to a lot of other nonprofits. Um, I went to a couple of meetings and trainings where I can kind of see how other nonprofits operate. Mm-hmm. So that was really the first big thing. And then um, keeping all my contacts from when I was a CASA, I had inter 
intertwined with a lot of uh, nonprofits during that five years. So mm-hmm. keeping those relationships. Yeah. You obviously saw there was a need and just to prove that there was a need, you've been in, in business or you've been yeah. uh, operating for two years. Two years. The first year you saw how many kids and then the second year you... Yeah, the first year uh, and before we got started to kind of prove this concept we um we took our act on the road and we had pop-up shops oh wow yeah (laughs) we did a pop-up shop we actually had to call and almost like really talk people into letting us come to their group home and let us have a pop-up shop to show that we brought a couple rolling racks a few little tins of makeup and some socks and said let them shop you Mm -hmm. know and then uh, CPS found out about it and asked me to do a pop-up shop at a church. Wow. And uh, right after that, we, I sent out this pivotal email. And it said, I've had two pop-up shops. I've served 44 teens. If someone will donate me a space, I'll serve 44 teens a month. And shortly after that, we got our first free donated space after that email. Yeah. So the first year, we served 552 teens. This year, in six months... We've served 740, and so it looks like we will now more than double this year what we did last year, which is amazing. And how many kids are currently in the foster care program? The last numbers I had, there were 2,000 teens in Bear County. So uh, you're going to see County. half. We're going to see a little more than half of them, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and because not all of them need our program, right. but to get to more than half that do is a we're we're super excited about that. And you've probably gotten to the point too now where you've been able to see teens multiple times. We're and seeing repeat customers. Yeah, it's, it's which is fun. What are some of the stories that you see coming through that have really touched you? Oh, well, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> probably every day. We, yeah, every day it's is something. Um, I know I keep a note on my desk for one particular girl, that's so why I'll look at it every day. But um, And when she came in, she had aged out of foster care. And uh, when she walked in the shop, she was really surprised and said, you have fitting rooms here. I don't have to dig out of a box or a barrel. These clothes are new. And then on her note, she said, "I for the first time I feel like a person and not an animal. So her note stays on my desk, but we've, I've had kids just, it's, it never gets old hearing them gasp, like, oh, we get to pick from these things, you know, or when they want to wear their outfits out um, is, is amazing, um, or when they say, who all gets to come here, and we tell them everyone, and they're just, they're just so happy, or they say, thank you for taking the time for us. We just had um, Boysville yesterday come shop. And we had yoga lessons downstairs, and we had shopping upstairs, and then we had snacks. And it's amazing. Um, They're very grateful. They all leave us a note. We have over a 1,000, more than a 1,000 notes now. Um, And they all leave us sweet notes of, uh, thank you for helping my brothers and sisters in foster care. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a girl tell me last week the last time she got new clothes was eight years. She's been in foster care this whole time. She's about 17, and she said this was the first time in eight years she was able to choose new clothes. Wow. So just when I think we're probably making headway and getting to everybody that I was like, wow, eight years, you know? So um, all their stories it count. Every one of them does. It's really fun, too, to come and see you keep the little tack board up with all the little <laughs> notes. And-, and we're actually putting them in a book. Oh, we're, we we, uh, we talked to a local author, and we're kind of excited. We're actually going to kind of have like a 2018's year of notes 
Wow. And we're going to, and then every so often we'll put a teen story that we can share. Wow. And then we'll have their notes because their notes can be very powerful, very funny. Yeah. But sometimes very heartfelt. Right. Wow. That's awesome. I know. That's what I thought too. A book. <laughs> and you just keep going. You just keep having these ideas and it's, it's funny. It's not funny at all. I mean, it, you have these ideas and somehow they always fall into place. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That's kind of like I I guess that's where I feel like I'm meant to do this right now. Yeah. Kind of like when I first got started, it just kept telling me, "Well, you have to do this." Mm-hmm. So I, you know, you just start, and I just felt like this is my purpose right now. Right. So no matter what happens, <laughs> no matter <laughs> what, happens. no matter what comes at you, yeah. this is your purpose. Yeah. So your why for starting the nonprofit is CASA and your involvement yes. in CASA, but um, your your reason for getting into CASA is a little bit deeper. You right. have multiple layers to your why. Right. Um, tell me about uh, that deeper why. Yeah, it's it's really personal. Um, I had raised, uh, I've raised, I've been married 30 years and raised three children, all grown, um, the youngest being 22. And uh, where I grew up, uh, where I ended up at the age of 16 growing up, we landed finally in Houston. We moved usually every year. Um, I grew up in a very abusive home, um, extremely abusive, just like the ones you, we see on TV every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my life. And uh, when we finally got settled and our kids started getting a lot older, I would you know, still see things on TV. And, and I would always think to myself, boy, things have not changed a whole lot. This, this just keeps happening, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I think I finally got to the point where I thought maybe I can help somehow, <laughs> maybe I can help figure this out because I have like a lot of experience in that field and uh, one day I saw uh, a really tragic story in San Antonio and right behind that was a, um, an advertisement to become a CASA mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, somebody that actually helps kids in Oh, okay. I think I'll, I think I can do that. So I signed up. Yeah. But yeah, it was all very personal. Yeah. You have a very extreme story. Yes. Um, and it has to do with your stepfather. Yes. Um, and do you mind sharing that and kind of going into a little bit more detail about what you experienced? Yeah. Um, he um, was kind of like being raised with the devil. It's the only way I know how to explain it, like seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's the closest I've ever come to the devil was with my stepdad. Mm-hmm. He was um, an alcoholic. He was a drug abuser. He was um, sexually abusing. I witnessed for years him uh, abusing my mother. Um, so we witnessed domestic violence on a daily basis. Um, you couldn't change a TV channel without having to pay the price. Was that extreme? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can remember, there's been a few severe things that you just don't ever forget, but I can remember getting my teeth pulled out with pliers when I complained I had a loose tooth. So he would pin me down on the couch and take a pair of pliers and yank my tooth out and say, now stop complaining. Mm. Um, so it was, every day it was very, um, we were always scared. We never knew when he came home which direction if dinner wasn't cooked exactly right, the plates would go flying, and then the next we would all be hiding in a closet waiting for when he was done with our mom, we were next. Mm-hmm. 
So I grew up my whole life that way. It was just event after event after event and would go to school with black eyes, bloody nose, hide the marks. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was in the late 60s and early 70s and really, I think even back then, people just kind of kept to themselves. I think people would know, people would see things, but you were too afraid to get involved. Mm-hmm. And I would actually been afraid for somebody to get involved. I know that right. might sound strange, but you wouldn't want somebody else to get hurt. Yeah, and you also knew that it probably wouldn't end it. It oh, would yeah. just make it worse. Right. I was convinced that during that time that this was just our fate. Mm-hmm. This was how we were supposed to live. Mm-hmm. Till I got older and I would go visit other people's homes and think, oh, wait a minute. Everybody does not live this way. Yeah, these people are you happy. Know, these people are crazy that I'm living with. And I'd be like, I don't, okay, now, now I'm, a, I'm a little awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up graduating high school. I don't know how, but I did graduate high school. <laughs> Um, no one came to my graduation. I graduated high school, even despite all that, and no one even bothered to come. And uh, as soon as I turned 18, I married the first guy that asked, yeah. by the way. <laughs> could, have, could have been uh, a stray dog down the street, and I would have said yes. I just He was your, kind of yeah. your ticket out. I mean, yeah, that was, my, that was my ticket out. Yeah. Yeah, I had to get out. You got out. Um, yeah. And shortly after you got out, you get a phone call from your mom at 2 in the morning. It was November. Um, I got married, like, in June. And it was November, the week before Thanksgiving. And I got a phone call in the middle of the night. And my mom said, I've killed your stepdad. I need you to come get your brother and your sisters. But before you do that, I need you to stop at the corner shell and get me a carton of Salem cigarettes. So at that point, it kind of felt like you're in a, a dream. Yeah, what Not was really going sure. through your head? I just, is this really happening? I didn't know what to believe. I, I was afraid. I was scared. I, I didn't know if my brother and sisters were in harm, and this was like a joke or a right. sick trick. And so, But I did what my mother said. I stopped and got the cigarettes mm-hmm. and got to the house, and sure enough, when I pulled up, when we pulled up, she was being loaded in the police car, uh, hands behind her back and handcuffed. And I told him who I was, and at the age of 18, they let me go get my younger sisters and my younger brother, and uh, we took them home. Mm-hmm. But before we did that, when I walked in, I thought that, because I was so afraid of this man, that I thought he was going to come up out of there and come after me. He was still haunting you. Right. And um, she had him covered up with a sheet. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to walk up to it and kick the sheet. And I actually had to lift it up just to make sure so that I could see that this was now over. Prove, prove it to yourself. And it was over. Mm-hmm. And then I took them home mm-hmm. to the house that I lived in. Yeah. And they now, stayed with you for a while? Probably, a, probably close to a year mm-hmm. because uh, we had to get an attorney, of course, for my mom. And uh, one of my neighbors put their house up for collateral to bail my mom out because the bond was pretty high. And, um, but we were able to get my mom out. And then by the time it came for us to go to court and have a trial, the judge listened to everybody. We had lots of testimonies. Yeah. And um, actually, I remember the judge saying something like, what took you so long? Why did you let them all suffer? Mm-hmm. After hearing all of us say what we've been through all those years. He asked you that? Yeah. Wow. What, what, what took you so long to my mom? And so my mom got full probation. 
And she had to do a lot of community service and she had to do a lot of counseling. She got her job back. And um, I actually, one of the things that I will not forget is that I had to go back to the house and um, get their things out of it and clean that house. Oh, no. Which was traumatic. Yeah. And then after that, I never went down that street again. I refused to go down that street just for memories. Like, I have the right now to say I don't have to go down that street. Yeah. Dwight Street. (laughs) A dead-end street (laughs) in Houston. Literal. Never had to go down there again. But but my mom lived for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, After that, she passed away. As right after I became a CASA. Yeah, and you were saying that conversation that you had with her when you were like, Mom, yeah. you know, I have to start sharing this. Right. But that must have been really hard because she is a different generation where you didn't, you didn't talk about those things. It was better right. to keep them, you know, brushed under a rug. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what my mom, I think just because how she was raised and that... I guess when you're, we've survived so much mm-hmm. um, that she just never wanted to talk about it again. Leave it in the past. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no. See, this is how we help people. This is how we stop this. You have to stand up and you have to say, yeah, I, I survived all this. I went through this. But this is how we help other people. You encourage other people to stand up and say no and say it's not right and tell people how to get help. And because she was worried about me being a CASA, and I said, no, I feel like I have to do this. I want to turn all those experiences into something positive because I have a lot of experience with being around an alcoholic, mm-hmm. a drug abuser, domestic violence. All things that all these, these kids are going through. All these things that these kids are going through, yeah. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. And um, I never want anybody to feel sorry for me, and I know other people don't want you to feel sorry for them. It's just empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to say, you know, well, I went through that too, but that doesn't have to be your whole story. You're a <laughs> it's very... It's not the end. It's not the end. It's and not the end. And you have totally turned something extremely negative um, it, in, into your, you know, your life story has, has turned around. You know, you've been able to correct right. your path, but it could have been much different. Right. Um, obviously, you had to go through a lot of healing. What a lot were of therapy. the yeah? What were the kind? Of, what were the things that you went through? I know yeah. you mentioned you found a church group. Too. I found a great church called Grace Lutheran Church, and I found a great pastor, some great friends that were understanding that you could actually share this story because you do have to share the story. And, and when you can share it, or like with me talking to you today, mm-hmm. and I'm not on the floor sobbing, then that you know that you have healed. Yeah. But it takes years to um, not be afraid. And um, a lot of forgiveness, forgiving, forgiving yourself, yourself, not blaming yourself yes, um, is the big one. And then even forgiving the people that did those horrible things to you because you have to live and you don't want to live in the past. That has, its, that has its place and it's not my future. And part of me is like, after being told for so many years, you'll never be nothing, you're trash. And now I'm like, huh, how do you like me now? Mm-hmm. Because my girls got to go to college. We lived in a nice house, mm-hmm. um, stayed married, no abuse. And so to me, yeah, even growing up when all that was going on, I always say, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be this person. I was always afraid of becoming my envir- being, becoming part of my environment. Right. And um, I wanted to be able to prove 
to myself and to my own children that this is not the way to live. Mm-hmm. And your children, uh, two of them actually work with children as well. Right. <laughs> um, and then your son also works with your husband and right. all are very successful. Yeah, I have one that's a school teacher that's yeah. uh, sixth grade science and one that works with foster kids as a house parent. Mm-hmm. And then our son, who's the youngest, who's 22, works with my husband um, in his with the warehouse, so we're learning a trade. So everyone's happy and healthy and um, lives a free life. Mm-hmm. You did come to a point, though, where you shared your story with them. Yes. And uh, what was how what was that like? That had to be really hard, kind of maybe going into that. Yeah, I waited until they were kind of like teenagers, but they kind of had clues along the way because um, when they were around my mother <laughs> or other family members, they could always tell things weren't quite right. Mm. Um, and still, even though you know my mom's not around, she was still a little bit of a harsh person, but I think life had done that to her, and it was hard for her to come back. And I think that my children would be like, that's your mom? you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that they kind of always knew that something wasn't quite right. Um, and so when I was able to sit down with them and say, this is the story. Then they kind of understood. Uh, like a light bulb you know, went off. A light bulb went off like mm-hmm. certain things made sense. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, I see now. Mm-hmm. You know, I see why you would never drive back down that street, mm-hmm. why we had to meet Grandma at wherever. Mm-hmm. And so then they, they understood. But I think it's a good example for them to know going forward, you know, stand up for yourself and and um, that you can heal from things and it's okay to get help. Mm-hmm. That your past doesn't define you. Yeah, that, that yeah, mm-hmm. you can be whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. Now, your mom, too, um, did you ever, this is kind of a tough question, but did you ever resent her oh, for yeah. the things that you went through? Me and my mom went through a lot of stuff. I, I held her responsible for a lot of things. I um, When I finally got stronger, I had uh, a big, we had a big, long, knockdown, drag-out conversation one time face-to-face. And I let her know what I thought and why she couldn't help us and why did she let us, why didn't she protect us and why didn't she get help. And that I let her know because of everything that we went through that I would not stand for my own children to go through any of this and how could she sit and watch. And so we had a big hashing out and she did finally apologize for a lot of things and then I forgave her. And uh, a lot of it is just realizing that she also grew up in an abusive home with an alcoholic father. Mm -hmm. And she could not see her way out. She was not strong enough Mm -hmm. until the very end. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we made peace. And she lived in Houston. We're in San Antonio all these years. And I would go visit her. And we made peace um, until, you know, and we were on very good terms. But... um, there was a lot of resentment for a long time. Mm-hmm. What has been the power of forgiveness in your life? Um, just knowing that, realizing that she's human and she just was not capable. Mm-hmm. Even though I would want her to be strong and would want her to have done things differently, she just didn't have it in her. Yeah. You know, she it's like that really was the, right the best way. she could do. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have um, like a support group because we moved 
every year. I think the longest we ever stayed at a place was like two years. We'd move in the middle of the night because he was always running from, I don't know, the police, whatever. Mm -hmm. We'd have to pack up and move. And so she was never around family or anybody that could support her. Mm -hmm. With seeing, getting involved in CASA and Mm -hmm. seeing other mothers Mm -hmm. who were struggling, did that also help you with your forgiveness? I think that did help me. And I think that, I don't know who said it a long time ago, but when you serve... And when you volunteer and when you do get involved, like with CASA or even like running a nonprofit, when you're giving back, it's very healing. And so I don't know if that's why I feel like I need to give back so much. Yes. But it is all very healing, knowing that um, somebody might not have been able to help me or might not have saw that I needed help. But I want people to know that people care and that, like, I can help you. You know, even though somebody didn't help me, I want people to know that um, people care and that it makes me feel better to know that I might not have been able to even help myself either, but I can help this one or this one or just one person at a time. And you were even saying that sometimes you'll see your brothers or sisters in some of these, these kids. I see these kids and I'm like, wow, really reminds me of my youngest sister or my younger brother or even myself. Um, especially from when I was a CASA, when I see those kids and I see the families and the domestic violence and everything, and I totally get it. Like, I could totally sit down with them and the box of colors and a color book and say, yeah, it's okay, we'll sit here and color, mm-hmm. you know, but I totally um, get it. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel good to know that those experiences, now I could look at them differently. Mm-hmm not just as the horrific craziness that they were, but I was like, okay, well now I'll just chalk that up to experience. Mm -hmm. And how can that be positive now? It's prepared you for this moment. Right, how Mm -hmm. can that be positive now? How can we shine a different light on it, make something good out of it? Mm -hmm. So you are doing this nonprofit, you've got your family, you're constantly healing. I feel right. like you're probably still every yeah. day focusing on healing and self-care. Um, what is kind of your self-care routine? Because you know, running a nonprofit, I mean, <laughs> it's nonstop. It's yeah. nonstop, it's and the a, need is always yeah, there. Yeah, the need is huge. We get phone calls, emails every day, mm-hmm. um, and um, the need in San Antonio is huge. I get calls from other places too, wanting to open up a place like San Antonio Threads. Um, and there, so it's a big need. But when I do have my downtime, I have my labs. I have two black labs. Ooh, and, uh, what are Thor, their names? Thor and Boogie. Aww. And uh, um, and I have my husband of 30 years. Um, and so uh, I also like to binge watch, you know, TV when I get a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Different things. But um, so I rest when I can. But um, like I said, I really feel like. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And you also talk a lot about, you know, you are, you're 54, right? Right. And how many times you've been able to start something new in your life or learn something new. I mean, that's so powerful to think. It's amazing to to be able to um, have this um, opportunity and um, just to know that, like, it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I first started trying to do all this, a lot of people said, you know, this won't work. You won't get support. Mm -hmm. People won't donate. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not supposed to be talking to you right now. I need to find my people. And so I would just keep talking to other people, try to stay positive. And sure enough, there's so many people in San Antonio that do care. 
and that do want to help, that it propelled us. And, and every day, just last week, um, two people came by, uh, Maria and Jose, and they brought all these brand new great donations and makeup kits from Ulta. And then they said, we have a surprise for you. And in a backpack was a $1,000 check what? from a company named Cam um, Solar. And I've never even yes. met them. And they sent us a $1,000 check. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. So it, it's just amazing. And I, and I love learning how to do things. And we, I make plenty of mistakes. And I just keep learning from them. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to um, collaborate with other nonprofits and other people that I meet in the community. And just, it's amazing. Talk about the power of sharing your story, right? I'm sure yes. that through social media or just from, you know, sharing what you've been through, that that's how people are hearing about SA Threads. That's why people are deciding to donate or get involved. Yeah, I think that being the person that's been beating the drum for so long of saying what I've seen and and why we need this and how do we help, and I think that it's, it's wonderful that people can relate mm-hmm. or that people get it, you know, why more people get it than don't. More people support than don't, so it's um, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's it's humbling yeah. to be able to do it, um, so, but it also comes with big responsibilities. Yeah. But um, that's okay too. Yeah. What um, you know specifically about being a woman and helping young girls and young women? I know you help both. Um, right. You know all genders. Right. Um, what do you think the biggest need is with our you know, young female community, our young women teens? I think that we need to be in a role model for them and letting them know it's okay, they're okay, no matter what has happened to them, they're okay, and um, they'll be okay, and that it will eventually get better, and that nothing lasts forever. No matter how we think that this is the end, that I thought that so many times my whole life, but things change, and things can change, and you can change. And I just think we need more role models to let them know, I'll, I'll stand by you. Mm-hmm. What, are you know. some, what are some ways to be a role model? I, I mean, that might seem like an easy question mm-hmm. for someone who has a nonprofit, but, you know, how do we get involved with your nonprofit or others in town? Right. Um, well, I think any, any of the nonprofits that are helping any of our kids that are in foster care then have been abused, neglected, and I think just showing up for them and being positive. Mm-hmm. I think for us, we make sure to keep our shop clean, mm-hmm. organized. A lot of the kids, uh, it smells nice in here. Yeah. Smell is a real big, important thing. And then having different things, like we have a yoga instructor, mm-hmm. or we have someone come in to talk about finances, or just knowing that they have opportunities. And I think as role models, when we work with other nonprofits, it also shows them collaboration. We have a lot of kids that say, oh, you guys all like each other. You guys all work well together. Oh, the YWCA was here. Oh, ChildSafe was here. Or, oh, Cam donates this space to you. Just so that they know that um, community works together, you know, that we, we all um, work kind of in the same circles. A lot of times we're all passing in and out of the same circle. Yeah. It's so it's been really really fun to kind of open up and I feel like as soon as you open up and see those potentials and see those mm-hmm. opportunities and start asking those questions just how much people want to be involved with one another in this community. Yeah. It's a big city but it's, it is. It's so but small at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, it's huge and I think that's a big um, 
that's a big thing to show our youth, to show young women, to show young men that we can all work together despite the circumstances, despite where you came from. Mm -hmm. So for somebody listening who may be thinking about starting a nonprofit, um, you mentioned one of the um, groups earlier that you were involved in. The but Bare Necessities Network. Bare Necessities group. Network. Mm -hmm. Do you have any um, advice that you would want to give someone thinking about starting this endeavor? Well, I think that um, you have to do what you, your heart tells you to do and what you think you're driven to do um, and listen to your gut, mm -hmm. your instincts. And I think that reaching out... Um, joining these groups or like the San Antonio Area Foundation or talk to other people that you know that are um, running these nonprofits um, and that are doing it to make a difference, um, I think is, is the big thing. And I think, I mean, anything's possible. I'm proof of that. <laughs> and you just dove right Any, in. Yeah. You know anything, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just was like, let's do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it, the time is now. Don't yeah. waste any more time. Right. If you wait for it to per be perfect, it'll, it'll never, never happen. It'll never happen. And, yeah. and struggles are there, and things go wrong, and things don't work, and then you learn from them, and you, move, you keep moving forward. Right. What are some of the ways that people could help you specifically or San Antonio Threads? Well, I mean, a lot of, uh, we love our family on social media. So a lot of, for us, is, is sharing our page. And it's growing page. a lot, yeah. your social media. It's amazing. We, um, with Facebook and Instagram and even a little bit on Twitter, um, just sharing what we do. We try to share. Um, so much goes on. We try to share as many pictures as we can. Sometimes we can't always show pictures. We can identify the kids. But I think you get the gist of what we're doing and why we're doing it and who we're serving. So I think just sharing our mission mm -hmm. um, or somehow get involved and volunteer mm -hmm. um, or even as something simple as a, a sock drive or a toothpaste drive um, with the numbers that we're serving, um, we will definitely uh, need to keep getting support from our community. Yeah, and um, that's important too. I think that we didn't bring up yet is that you uh, are giving these teens clothing but also toiletries, right. makeup, socks, underwear, shoes. Right. So even if you're going out for school supply shopping, yeah. just grab two. Yeah, grab, grab one for yourself extra. and grab an extra. Even some things you might not think about, a hairbrush. Right. Um, a lot of our kids are sharing hairbrushes, which is a bad idea. So, I don't mean, everybody, yeah, don't do that. We all, um, just a, a simple hairbrush, a mm -hmm. comb, yeah. um, a bottle of shampoo. Or maybe some fun earrings. Yeah, I'm looking fun at earrings, yours yeah. right now, yeah. your cute hard fun, earrings. Yeah, you fun know. earrings are good. Something that makes would make a teen feel special or yeah yeah, well, yeah. all of that helps okay um is there anything else that you wanted to share i'm i'm so proud of your resilience Thank i mean you, you could have really taken your life in a different direction yeah there was a lot of turns and twists and there was a lot of um there was a lot of grieving there was a lot of anger but it all had to find a different place because overall, you know, I, I just I just kept telling, and I might sound weird, but like I'd always tell myself, but I want to be a good person. And that's hard to say when you're in total chaos, but I would always tell myself, I want to be a good person, no matter how hard they make it on me. And so I just, I just don't want people to not give up, to not give up. And there's hope. Yeah. 
Thank you for sharing. I know well, thank that you, for you know, it's, me. it's been a couple years, so yeah. you know, you're able to share that a little bit better. Yeah. I don't want anybody yeah. to think I forced you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that it's good. I, I do think that um, you know, nobody ever wants you to feel sorry for him. But um, I think it's good in a way to know that um, if you've gone through this, sometimes you feel ashamed. Yes. Um, sometimes you always felt like you've got that red X on your head like everybody knows. But the other part of it is is that, you, you know, your, my kids were watching and even for my own self, you know, I just like I just didn't want that to be my only story mm-hmm. and that um, I just wanted to be a more positive outcome. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the end. Mm-hmm. Even if you had that red X. Right. If people saw you with that red X, they go, wow, look at that woman carrying herself with confidence or doing positive work in her community. Despite. Despite that red X or the, mm-hmm. the A, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scarlet A or whatever yes. it's called. So you mentioned the book. Yes, with the notes. What do you want to see for the future of San Antonio Threads? Well, I'll just put this out loud. Um, we're throw hoping, it out into the we're world. We're going to throw it out there. Um, we would like to have a freestanding building one day, um, preferably without stairs. Um, and uh, we'd like to have it bigger because uh, we are serving many and our space is small, but I love our space. Um, I'd like to have a space to where we would maybe possibly have some computers for our older youth that we're serving that have aged out of care that can help them get on the internet, look for jobs. Our older youth, we need to expand a little bit with our program for them. So we would need a bigger space for that. Um, So, and we're just hoping to continue on. And I think the book will give um, our teens in foster care a voice. Mm -hmm. I think that... um, it's important to give them a voice. I don't think that everybody hears them. You don't see them, especially if they're at our local group homes. Mm-hmm. If you're not somehow directly involved in foster care, you just don't see them. And I think this is a way um, to further for them advocate. To be seen, mm-hmm. For them to be heard. Yes. I'm all about it. I think we should do workshops, too. You know I how I so said too. we? Yeah, I do. I like that. I like that we should no, do workshops. No, but like, you know, yes. maybe a conference or kind of like a, a career day, but not so formal, you know, right. kind of It more. needs to be uh, things where where they're, uh, where they feel comfortable mm-hmm. and where they feel like they can ask questions. And it's something that's, you know, the level of where they're at. Mm-hmm. And to hear more people's journeys like yours or just to hear the struggle and then to see that somebody has succeeded, you know. Right has more to their story than just that. Right. I, I've had kids tell me before when they've left that when they uh, when they finish high school and they finish what they're doing, that they want to open up a Threads. And I'm like, yes, you should. You guys know I'm old. You know, you, <laughs> you to, can take over. Somebody needs to get after that. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, so, um, yeah, I, I hope that, um, that they realize that, yeah, they can do that too. Mm-hmm. And what's the future for Kathy Hamilton? Well, right now it's just concentrating on clothing all of our teens in need. Um, yeah just trying to keep up with everybody that gets referred and our immediate need is getting everybody back to school so our goal this month is to serve 300 teens that's our goal with the tricentennial Mm -hmm. so uh, right now we're just trying to get everyone in school looking good feeling confident Um, so um, we're just going to keep doing that until we can reach everybody we need to reach 
And what is your website in case people want to get in touch with you in your beautiful right. newly redesigned yes, website? Yes, our new website. Check it out. Um, you can find everything there on how to volunteer, um, how to uh, you can donate, um, see what we're up to, check out our calendar. Um, it'll connect you right to our Facebook and Twitter, and it's just sanantoniothreads.org. Um, and you can follow us on Facebook as well. We try to share everything so you can see what we're up to. And volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. Yes, and volunteer. <laughs> Even if you just come in and help us stock. Okay. Um, you might not feel comfortable shopping with the teens, and that's okay. Um, we always have so many things that need to be done. It might be dressing our mannequins. That's uh, fun. Put, putting out the denim. Um, toiletries, redoing things. So um, whether it's an hour or the day, whatever you can. And, and we take volunteers all ages, all sizes. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. High five. I'm a big high fiver. <laughs> Good. All right. We did it. In re-listening to this podcast over the weekend, I realized I had a follow-up question for Kathy. So I reached out. I was really wondering why in that moment her mother decided to kill her stepfather if it was years of abuse, such a long path cycle of abuse, why in that moment did she say enough is enough? So when I asked Kathy, she said that her stepfather had packed up her younger sister, that they were going to leave, and Kathy said that he had plans to potentially put her into some sort of sex trafficking situation. So that really was the last straw for Kathy's mom, um, but to... And on a positive note, which I always like to do, Kathy's sister, just one year younger than her, did break that cycle of abuse. She put herself through college. She has two beautiful girls. She is now a school teacher here in Houston. Two phenomenal stories of writing your own ending, of healing, of forgiveness, of bravery. So thank you again to Kathy for sharing your story. I know that it's not easy even after all these years, but I truly appreciate it. I know that our listeners do too. And I'm going to end on a quote from Kathy that came from this podcast. It's the one that I'm taking away. This is how we help people. This is how we stop this. We have to stand up and say, I survived.